For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode of Blue Church Breakaway is brought to you by you, the listener. Couldn't do it without you. Go to patreon.com slash Blue Church Breakaway today to get access to our BSBOT episodes, to get access to our Discord, our Insiders chat, and much, much more coming this season, including some nice Q&As and a bunch of other stuff. Enough about the paywall. Today we have Vince Bercogliano on the show after Greg and I talk a lot of nonsense about other sports first, including Greg does a rant with some curse words, so non-suitable for work, or you're listening to The Car With Your Family, about the Yankees in about a second here. And then also uh, we cover possibilities for some lines and some other things with the with the Rangers. And then, of course, Vids comes on, and we absolutely cover every single question we could ask, except for, hey, what is Adam Fox going to sign for? Because we don't want to know the answer. So other than that, here's Mark Messier, and thank you all so much for the support for the show. 30 days away from opening night and New York Rangers official hockey. Here we go. Hi, everybody. It's Mark Messier, and you're listening to Blue Shirts Breakaway, the number one Rangers podcast. Welcome to the Week of the Oh my God! Welcome to the Week of the Bush Breakaway. I am your host Ryan Mead, here with my co-host Greg Capel. And Greg, say hello. Um, I think I had a, I had something I wanted to say, but Lord knows if I remember. You want to do a complaint corner? Uh, I mean, I. It sounds like you do. Yeah. And why is it so hot? It's September. It doesn't make any it wasn't sense. Wasn't that hot up here, buddy? Fine. That that that's a you problem for living further south. Definitely a lot of me issues as of recently. That's for sure. But it's too fucking hot for September. I'll tell you that. I have my fall autumn candle. You're right, everybody. I have autumn candles, and I cannot light them until the time is right, such as 58 degrees. And I request that now because I'm over summer and I'm ready for hockey to be here. To be honest with you, uh, you had a hockey vibe last night. I didn't watch the Mets and Yankees game, but I'm assuming you did. <laughs> I did, but I got, I got, oh, this is what I wanted to say. Oh. Sure. Complaint corner. Sure. Ban ESPN from doing baseball. I agree with you. Ban them. Straight ban them. <laughs> you know, what's so freaking weird. That game should have been, tell me what's so freaking weird. Well, what didn't we use to... like when A-Rod first started doing this color commentary on baseball and such, I was like, wow, A-Rod's really good at this. He's a supernatural, like. He's going to be like the next, this is before Tony, Tony Romo, but it felt like he'd be like the next Tony Romo. Then all he of a was, sudden. He was great in studio. He was, I don't remember having a positive opinion of him doing an actual baseball game. Agreed. And I remember I, thinking he was the perfect studio analyst. Don't know why post-play. they put him to call games. That felt like the wrong move. <laughs> no, because we were all talking about how great he was pregame, postgame. And when and once you start was. talking about something, then they elevate him. Plus, if he wants to do baseball, ESPN gets to dangle that carrot in his face and steal him from Fox. And that's how you get him to leave Fox to join ESPN. Very smart, Gregory. If A-Rod wants to do something, you have to entice him to come to you so you let him do the thing he wants to do. But me, Greg, the baseball viewer, I think Matt Vasgersian is is horribly forced. 
None of the emotion sounds genuine. I, I think I'm one of the few who really liked. I understand we make jokes about Joe Morgan in hindsight, RIP, but I, I never had a problem with the John Miller, Joe Morgan booth. That's That was kind of my, that was fine. I, I could enjoy a national broadcast with that. Now that I don't, I love Joe Buck, the football announcer. Joe Buck, the baseball announcer, feels like he gets too much time and doesn't know what to say to fill the dead air. So he tosses things over to John Smoltz, who's Buck, somehow fucking worse yeah, he is. than A-Rod. Buck crushes NF, uh, NHL. Uh, sorry, um, NFL. I'm, I'm yeah, Buck's today. great. Yeah. The Buck Aikman booth, I think, is it's just as good, if not better, than Nance Romo. It's fantastic. It's good. I, it, it, yeah, Buck the, takes a lot of heat. Prime time, rightfully he so sometimes. But, I, yeah, I, but I, I've softened ESPN on him. ESPN baseball broadcast, just, man, get the fuck out of my life. Well, that makes like, me you know really worried better? about the ESPN hockey broadcasts already to be honest we're trying to get some yeah, espn guests on here so i'm hoping oh shit espn you're great at your job <laughs> yeah. i don't know what i'm talking about <laughs> yeah actually we take love I, ESPN. I take everything back you're all wonderful yeah espn's dope tortorella come on down buddy so we'll see yeah, how it goes. i uh i just met fans can't shit on lindor for a good 12 months he, he's good for he's he's earned some time the resurgence has come congrats it's been it's... luis rojas Goodbye. God love him. Goodbye. <laughs> I just I don't know what motivates a human being to keep Brad Hand in the pitch to John Carlos Stanton. And John Carlo, I got words for you, buddy. Shut the fuck up. All right, you injury prone glass ass motherfucker. Jesus. If you really <laughs> what? You think, well, I don't like Stanton. What did he do wrong? I missed it. Explain. He, well, Lindor called out the whistling. Number one, on Rangers podcast. Just well, in a second, we have Vince on. It's gonna be a great show. Yeah, Lindor. Lindor calls out the whistling that the Mets feel like we're tipping pitches. Yep. Uh, from the dugout. So Lindor hits the second home run, does the whistling, and is barking at everybody. Fucking love it. I think that's talk, a great heel move, by the way. Yeah. Awesome. Then Giancarlo, Giancarlo hits the two-run homer and literally stops at shortstop to tell Lindor to go fuck himself. In, in uh, that exact words? <laughs> like those. I, I, I'm not a lip reader, but <laughs> the words I saw were, first of all, Mike, fucker, if I can call you that. <laughs> Jesus. Um, yeah, but... Buddy, wow, if you're gonna if you're gonna talk to shit, finish rounding your bases, then go back out there and talk to shit. Don't run to the fucking dugout like a little fucking dweeb. This is why if the Yankees need Ryan Reeves more than the Rangers do, soft ass bitches, the New York Yankees. Wow. So you had a great night. I'd say, but here's the thing: I'd say the same shit about the Mets if they did. I said this shit. Remember earlier in the season oh when um, Dom struck out against the lefty reliever from the Phillies. And the Philly reliever essentially dragged his dick yep. across Dom's forehead. Yep, visual. And Dom did nothing Converse. about it. Yes. Yeah. I called this out. I don't want to hear anyone saying that I don't do this when the Mets. I said that Philly reliever gets to do that. And if you don't want him to do it, you have to challenge him. Guess what? John Carlo, shitbird. <laughs> if you want to talk the shit, you got to back it up. And you got you got your dick pushed in by Francisco Lindor. That's on you. Well, happy happy Yankee uh, Mets weekend. I, it, it seemed like it went really well for both squads. Uh, oh, no, honestly, Saturday might have been the most. I thought Pete Alonso's ball was leaving the yard in the third inning, uh, the eighth inning. I really did. It that- it just when it didn't, I I felt like someone just stole all my Halloween candy, and not just stole it, chose not to eat it, just put it on the ground and pissed on it. Just garbage. Okay. Yeah. Well. So you get a very emotional weekend. We haven't even gotten to football yet, of which I watched very little. Uh, I ended up watching a lot of tennis this weekend, like a ton. Ooh, 
I watched a lot of tennis on Saturday. I actually didn't watch the men's final on Sunday. It was a massacre. So you didn't really Good. miss much. Uh, Djokovic. Not to be Djokovic. Yeah, I was kind of happy. It was weird because, and I don't know, I'm not I'm not avid tennis watcher. And we're doing all sports this podcast, as you could tell, because the Rangers have done nothing. And we're going to talk to Vince about all of it. Uh, I didn't understand why people were calling the, the crowd in pretty much right next to City Field like uneasy, like rude. I, are you not supposed to cheer and jeer? at certain players when in tennis is it just of that classy of a sport because i feel like if you're in the new york area and oh the whole crowd was rooting for Djokovic seemingly and this other guy oh i think the whole crowd was rooting for medvedev oh that was not the case i promise i I watched like the whole thing uh new york famously has been a very anti-jokovic crowd i think they were also rooting for the sort of history of Djokovic winning and they they continued to jeer and uh and people were saying very rudely uh cheer when Medvedev like would hit. I don't know how to say his name, of course, you know. But Artem Panarin was there, so that was cool. Uh, kept hitting the net, double faulting and such like that. But I, listen, I don't see it. I, I've, this is just like you when you're talking about you. You earn the right. These these people paid to be there. They can cheer a jeer, but that's up to Medvedev to shut them up, and he did. He beat he beat him in straight sets. Congratulations. You're not being able to say Medvedev, Medvedev. is really driving me up a wall. Medvedev. Like, do you not see the letters in the name? I, it's hard for me to read. Like the dyslexia, it's a real thing. I swear to you. Yeah, it, it's impressive. Um, I don't know. I I think the U.S. Open crowd has always been a rowdy crowd. It, it's New Duh. York. Yeah, it's the, Duh. it's the American Grand Slam. You kind of get what you get. I I thought uh, the Saturday final with the with the ladies was that a wedding. Wasn't able to watch that one, but I heard great things. Yeah, I it had the potential. The first set was an all timer. And it was, it's just unfortunate that Fernandez, it, it just looked like she didn't have any energy left. And Radicanu, who, by the way, has made me a lot of money Congrats. so far this year. So big Emma Radicanu guy over here. Big fan. Um, I'm also, I got to tell you, if I could be honest. Go for, for it. Moment, this is what I'm, we're here for. I mean, you called Giancarlo Stanton like every curse word under the, under the book. So, Well, I didn't call him. Well, I have to cut that one. I can't <laughs> keep that one, asshole. <laughs> he is he. Since Ryan's gonna cut it, all I said was he can be someone I see. Um, eight thirty-six. But I get so annoyed when hockey media finds a Canadian to rally around, but it doesn't seem like they really support the Canadian in the way that you and I would support someone. We rally around. We do. Get, we did that with really America, annoyed. right? Don't in the Olympics. I mean, we kind of just kind of rally around any American we see. I don't know any of those swimmers, but I cheer crazy for them when they're. When I they're just. Swimming. I, I get. I get so annoyed. It's a lot of so inspirational, blah blah blah. But I know, first of all, the fact that Canada let Fernandez be an underdog going into Saturday's final. That's an embarrassment, and all of you should never be allowed to gamble again if you can't make <laughs> the good people of Canada are not betting enough. Is what you're saying? Yeah. That, <laughs> annoying. And second, it's just like such a Greg annoyance. Yeah, but also, just shut up, Canada. You guys, <laughs> you guys have everything, and you can't. They they have something perfect in Connor McDavid, and they're fucking it up. You got healthcare. So now they're trying to go out the there and do other things. So yeah, a lot of great stuff. I just I get annoyed. I hockey media rubs me the wrong way, and I just I think Canada's a great place. <laughs> media people, hockey media me. meaning us. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Literally us. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, but I, now we're a tennis podcast on top of being a horse racing I podcast. I thought talking tennis. I think we did a great job. 
So that, yeah. was, that was it. I watched them. They, I, I saw uh, a slice, and I was like, ooh, like a slice of pizza. And then they were like, no. So there's that. That's my talking test. Do you think slice of pizza before slice of bread? Yes, absolutely. Mm. Which I, I think bread. Which I don't think slice of pizza is a thing really outside of New York. And pizza's not really a thing. Or good pizza's not what, really a thing. You don't think pizza people refer to pizza in individual bites as slices? They do not, outside of like the tri-state area. That's like a, uh, if you ask for a slice in like the Midwest, they'll look at you with seven heads. It's unbelievable. First of all, there's not pizza in the Midwest. It's there's just like marinara bread. sauce on fried dough. It's cheese bread. Yeah. Yeah. See, Second, there's, there's no pizza in Philadelphia. I, them, I lived in Georgia for five years, and I would have no problem ordering a slice. I don't know. I've been I've been to places where people look at me like I'm crazy. I'm sure some people will tweet at us and say, blah, They're blah, looking blah, at blah. you like you're crazy, not because you ordered a slice, but have you ever looked at yourself? Yeah, I have. It's That's why they're looking at you like you're crazy. A lot of Zoom meetings where I have to stare at myself for over an hour. It's a miserable yeah. experience, to be honest. All right, let's uh, let's get to some Ranger news. There is none. There's none. There's nothing. I mean, the the Ranger news this week is in a gift that has a presidential daughter and Brad Pitt. All anybody <laughs> sees is Henrik Lundqvist, and there's a Ranger's news. That is the news. Uh, other than that, there was, has been a development camp that has played. They played some games that were totally meaningless, and that is all that has happened. Well, and Vince has been there, and Vince is coming on the show, so we'll ask him all about it. But that brings us down to uh, we're still waiting on you-know-who. We're still waiting on if there's a, another move to be made. We are officially, as of recording this, a month away from opening night. 30 days mm-hmm. exactly against the Dallas Stars on a Wednesday. Oh, sorry. We were playing the Washington Capitals first, but the home opener is the day after with the Dallas Stars at home at MSG. So we are not that long away from preseason games. We are not that long away from really a full season of hockey, including Olympics. And on top of all that, Greg, I we just don't know the answers. And we don't. We have no clue. So I'm assuming that everyone on the team right now is going to be on the team come opening night. I have no other choice because we've gone too far. We're sort of in this segment right now where hockey media is kind of doing the, here are your top prospects and their write-ups articles. Mm. I th- if I get one more push notification from the fucking NHL app asking five questions about Team X, I honestly might cancel my I, phone. I, I, <laughs> I did turn those notifications off because that's just what you have to write about these days before camp. There's no lineup questions yet. We can't. We haven't seen what Gallant thinks yet by making the team, where he's putting people on the line, how he's running practice. We haven't had any of those reports yet. Larry went behind a paywall. So uh, patreon.com slash Blue Shirts Breakaway. <laughs> we'll tell you what Larry says, I promise, on the show on BSBOT because we always talk about Larry anyway. And there's been, uh, I think, the biggest news or rumor story is that Niels Lundqvist is likely to make the team. And my response to that is no doy, uh, no duh. Seems like he'll have a chance at running power play too. That's great. Again, we'll talk to Vince about that in a couple minutes. They're going to – maybe this will actually be the meritocracy that David Quinn always preached to have. I had a uh, I had a nice conversation with our friend Shana today about David Quinn's former system and how I'm curious – or lack thereof and how I'm curious to see uh, what the difference is with Gallant. And those are a lot of questions I want answers to, but we're so far away – not so far, but we're still two weeks away really – until we start getting them. They're bit, if you go into the season and ask yourself, okay, what are the big questions? There really aren't that many. It's, hey, who's going to take a step forward among Kako, among Kraftstoff, Lafreniere? I mean, can Adam Fox break out again? And do the Rangers still have a big move in them? And can they compete in this division, which I guess we're calling the Metro again, that will be 
rather strong yet again. And the answer to all those, we do not have just yet. So we need to see how camp goes, how Gallant deploys his players, how we're going to... Who's going to play with who where? I think Gaudreau's going to play on the second line opening opening night. But that's all speculation. But we're going to have some answers to those in just a couple weeks here. But as we wait, that's all we can do, Greg. Speculate. And all we've done for many months now, from the firing of JD and Gorton, is speculate. And unfortunately, there's been no new speculation that we could do. There hasn't even been rumors. Everyone's been off and everyone's been vacationing. And here we sit a month before opening night when we still don't have the answers we need. So we're going to have to assume that we have them. Yeah, I'm at a point where I don't think the New York Rangers are going to add an outside player to their training camp roster at this juncture in the offseason. I think the time has come and gone. But also, I we have to call a spade a spade. I think Chris Drury made it painfully clear that his level of interest was never all that high. And while it seems like the New York Rangers are just the perfect match for a certain center from a certain team in the Eastern conference that doesn't play in the metropolitan division, it's just not going to happen. And if it does happen, there's no impetus to do it right now. I, I will say I'm now at a point where the bigger surprise is the New York Rangers haven't extended anybody. They haven't extended Fox. They haven't extended Mika. Because again, we, we we've asked we've we've asked this rhetorically, but we've also just stated the obvious. Pavel Buchnevich was traded because of a cap crunch. Okay, where is it? Where's the crunch? You have, <laughs> you have to spend the money to create the crunch if you're not going to be able to sign Pavel Buchnevich. So it's again, it a lot of the frustration, and I I feel like people hear us frustrated on this podcast every. Tuesday morning and can I cut you off right or Thursday night oh yeah I'm gonna do it for the first time in a long time because I don't I don't really do the whole cutoff deal this is maybe the most frustrated I've been doing this show in a long time I even during the pandemic which I know sounds crazy we didn't know when hockey was coming back we had no clue and yet I felt like we could come on this show every week and we'd find something We'd, we'd create something. We'd have some nonsense that you and I talk about. Frick. We, I said frick. Nice. That was good. I censored myself. We could talk about Pokemon. We would talk good, good hangs. We'd have all these nonsense episodes. And just over the last two months, the waiting game, the reason we put up the billboard has been infuriating because that is the key. Jack Eichel moving from Buffalo is the key to moving forward or the Rangers play hockey games. Those are the only two things that can move this narrative forward. There's no speculation. Well, There's nothing we can do. It's, well, it's, it's think, hard. It sucks. I, no, but the part of the reason why it's so frustrating is because for the first time in a very long time, the New York Rangers told us what they wanted to do. Which they and don't do. We were, we, were given, we were given instructions for how this offseason was essentially going to go. We were told the New York Rangers wanted to add a top six player. We were told the New York Rangers wanted to be, quote unquote, tougher to play against. And we were told the New York Rangers were going to run into a cap situation because of the signings they have to make in order for X, Y, and Z to be humanly possible. And all we've gotten is the New York Rangers are quote unquote tougher to play against. So it's if someone asked me today what I how I would grade the New York Ranger offseason, it would straight up be incomplete because the the criteria in which you gave me to grade from, the rubric you set before me. The three things I had to judge this New York Rangers season by, not by the words of you or me or Vince or anybody, but from the New York Ranger organization, you have accomplished one of them. And I can, I can 
we have talked in detail about what we believe the New York Rangers were able to do in order to become tougher to play against. And it's not that we necessarily dislike it. I don't think dislike is the words we would use. No, I would I'm, say we're I'm rather high on critical, the team. but mostly fine. You know that with the bottom six moves the New York Rangers have made. Yeah. Like I'm not gonna sit here and I I don't care about the six-year deal with Barclay as much as other people do. I'm really just going to look at it as a three-year contract, and then I'll worry about the second three-year contract when I have to. But for the first three years of that deal, I think Barclay Goodrow is going to do everything the New York Rangers signed him to do. The problem is Barclay Goodrow, when he was acquired, it was under the guise that he would be a penalty killer and a bottom six forward who would be able to just play shutdown defense. But now and we do live the in dirty a world work that other players don't want to do. Yeah, but now we live in a world where, you know, it is not a hot take to say you expect Barclay Goodrow to play on the second line with the New York uh, Rangers. I next fully year. expect it. And I, I, you know, I, I said this today. There's a reason why they ran Colin Blackwell with Artemi Panarin because Colin did the dirty work and Colin's no longer on this squad. And who's going to replace him? Wait, if Colin's not on the squad, where'd he go? He went to uh, Seattle. Oh, he did. Yeah, do you remember? Right. Did you forget? <laughs> My God, I, for, I forgot that Seattle took Colin. They Blackwell took Colin Blackwell. Kevin Rooney. Yeah, they took Blackwell. I miss wow. him. I totally, totally forgot about that. The King. Yeah. So uh, wow. he's gone. So that's uh, so Colin's going to be, you know, instead of playing that second line role with Panarin and Strom. Strom's still here, by the way, and Strom clearly likes playing with Panarin. I fully expect them not to have Kraftstoff, who's not going to know where to go and how to do the dirty work and at an NHL level. Versus the versus the caliber of player he's playing against at that point in time, I fully expect Goudreau to be there. Well, I will say again, I Galan is coming in with a fresh eye on it. I don't think it's unrealistic to think the top line could have Panarin, Zibanejad, and Kako. Right, that's just it. Boy, that's a like nice. I, I mean, I haven't smiled yeah, all day, I, but I'll tell you what, I, that I did it. I don't. I don't <laughs> think I can sit here and necessarily say that Goodrow for sure will be on the second line with Artemi Panarin. I, he would be if David Quinn was here. I, I know that in my heart, and I know that for a fact, but I can't sit here and tell you for sure that Artemi Panarin won't be playing at five-on-five five with Mika Zibanejad and Cabo Caco. I have to give Gerard Gallant the benefit of the doubt there. I, I, I would be surpri- It wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't shock me either if he wasn't, but I can't sit here and tell you for sure that the top line, it just, I know, I know Gallant loves giving kids an opportunity with veterans. So I absolutely expect one of Lafreniere or Kako to get an assignment with Mika Zibanejad. But I, I'd sit here and tell you I'd be surprised if both of them did. And I know that Gerard, I know Alexi Lafreniere is playing top six, whether Chris Kreider is here or not. I don't think. Gerard Gallant is going to stick Chris Kreider above either of those players. If all likely, like if anything, Kreider, if he wants to be in the top six, has to play on the right side. Maybe he does. But even with Gallant playing the babies as a forefront, I don't know. I don't think I can sit here and tell you for sure that it makes the most sense to put Lafreniere and Kako with Mika Zibanejad. I think maybe you have to break them up a little bit. And the only way to break them up is to either put Kako on a line with Panarin and Strom, which I don't think is ideal for Kako. I don't think so Or either. you put Panarin up on a line with Zibanejad and Kako. And I think that has a bit more intrigue. 
got it's got then a more I oomph think otherwise. to it. It has more oomph. And yeah, and I, then you get Lafreniere, you get Strom, and you get I don't know. Oh. I like my hope. Honestly, it sounds weird because I understand he's more valuable to the New York Rangers long term as a center. I hope Goodrow is your third line center, and they just move Eel the wing to the right and put him on the well, second line. I mean. There was one more piece of news. They did do a press conference, and they came out, and they said, I, we do believe that Morgan Barron and, and Philip Edel are centers. And that was about the biggest piece of news they said because everything else was a nothing burger. Yeah, but I also believe, like, the Yankees will continue to say that Glaber Torres is a shortstop. That doesn't mean Glaber Torres is a shortstop. Good point. Good you point. Can, just, just because you say the Mets for years said that Michael Conforto can play center field, that Ioannis Cespedes can play center field. They lied. They said that Seth Lugo could start games if he needed to. Like – just because management is saying something doesn't mean management believes what they're saying. There's a big reason why they're saying it. One, to appease the player. And two, to, appease to make sure other teams know that he can still do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's like, true. Shit. But, but that's... How, many, how many times, like, I, I don't know. You, you can find an example of this in every sport. Like, R.J. Barrett can play point guard, right? Dude, there like, was an argument this week in Liverpool about... Uh, Trent Alex- Arnold Alexander, if he was a midfielder or a right Trent back Alexander defender. Trent Alexander Arnold. Whatever. Fucking... I'm still working on it. What do you mean, whatever? That's supposed to be your squad. I, I, I watch every game. There you go. T- yeah, I, I call him TAA. Still, he's like your <laughs> brightest young player, and you're like Trent Arnold Alexander. I don't know why I did that. You know I have dyslexia. That's how I do it. Incredible. Yeah. Kako uh, Capo is going to start on the Rangers <laughs> center position. I haven't, I haven't messed that one up somehow. Mm. But, yes. So, uh, yes, there is an argument – for this in every single sport constantly and yes so jury saying it, it to me that's not even news also jury saying it's great gerard gallant one thing we know about gerard gallant is he refuses to play rookies on the fourth line doesn't see it as a fit i don't disagree i i'm here for it you're not going to develop anyone by playing them on the fourth line well then and morgan barron's going to go to the ahl that's for sure sure or he's not going to play center which also fine but it's it, 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 it's to me when management says something like we, we see this guy as a center. That's great. I see him as an eligible bachelor. Doesn't mean I'm going to hook him up with one of my cousins or something like it. It's, it doesn't mean anything. It's just word vomit at the end of the day. Do you think there is a scenario where Morgan Barron could end up being what we hoped Julian Gauthier could be that uh, third line right winger with some, some sort of power and size. Maybe. I don't know. Just throwing it out I, there. I, I'm, I'm still not convinced that Julian Goche can't be that. <laughs> That's true. He's still he actually still is on the squad. He did not go to Seattle, which is surprising. I think the, the storyline to me that doesn't get talked enough about is what the fuck did Seattle do at the expansion draft? Yeah, I. It is real confusing. It's Weird. Very they took strange. Zero swings. Don't know. Uh, sometimes I look at the roster and I go, hmm, what? It, I, it does. The roster is not going to be a train wreck. It's not. They took some good players, and, you know, there's possibilities that, you know, if they do struggle, they could flip those guys for future assets and make themselves one of the premier players when it comes to the trade market for disgruntled stars, which is interesting. To me, they they did that, the sort of the asset build, where they're going to take these players that they can trade and then build themselves through the draft. Sort of the exact opposite of Vegas. They didn't, they still could have taken more and they didn't. I'm not saying they had to max themselves out cap-wise, but they essentially took AHL tweeners from 24 of the 32 teams. So strange. 
It, I just, I mean, oh, God bless them. I hope it works. They, they kept talking about how they're going to take your favorite players. Did none of that. And we know they have yeah. a very talented and smart, brilliant squad over there with people we yeah, know like and the, love. The favorite, the favorite player they took was what? Mark Giordano, who people remember that. Remember that three-day stretch? Yeah, when hey. was for Mark Giordano? Uh, listen, I was really happy. I thought that I was like, that yeah, would have been a smart move. That's a great addition for the Rangers. Holy cow! Nice. He's like, this guy nope. could play first line left wing. I mean, uh, left left defenseman. That'd be awesome. I don't know why I said wing. Nope. Yep, that did not well, happen. According to you, he could. <laughs> hey, listen, I don't know. We have we tried it? Have we tried Capocaco at center? Okay. Um, let's get into five star questions. Then we'll get to our friend Vince. Uh, this is from TSE. One, two, three, one. If you want to leave a five-star question, you can go to our Discord, become a Patreon subscriber, and leave a five-star question for us, or you can leave one on iTunes, and we'll read it from there. All right. Uh, we regularly hear about how the NHL sometimes struggles to market itself to new fans, both in North America and abroad. If you woke up tomorrow with a text from the NHL bigwigs asking you for three ways to improve new fan growth, how would you do it and why? Uh, I would eliminate penalties for offer sheets. Yes. Let's flash that cash. You will, yep. I I would, I would fire that TikTok kid and hire a new one. <laughs> I don't know. I don't understand TikTok, so I, I can't old. even. Yeah, yeah. He's it. I, the the children said he's problematic. I would agree with the children. I, I, agree, I listen yeah. to. I agree children. with the children. Hands up. Uh, yes, though they should wear masks in school. There you That's go. That's for their own fucking good. Uh, yeah. Number one, eliminate compensation on offer sheets. Let's get player movement rolling number two i would hmm, i think you buy some billboards that seems to work <laughs> the billboard thing seems to work not a waste of money and yeah I, I i think you'd have to you'd have to cross promote the way you have to have the it, it's really important and i i hate saying this you have to have hockey segments on first take it's gotta happen well i think i the the I, most I, talked I gotta about tell you i i I, number two for me, honestly, and the owners will never agree to it. I think you got to get rid of the salary cap because I just don't think, I don't think North American sports fans will ever understand why eight million dollars is a lot for one player. Just it, it that doesn't compute. The baseball fan doesn't understand it. The NFL fan doesn't understand money. The NBA fan doesn't understand anything below twenty. Well, so like me trying to explain. To a friend who doesn't like hockey, they're like, all right, the Rangers got Artemi Panarin. How much money are you paying him a year? And I tell them $11 million it's like in a change. Joke. And they're like, what? No, I thought you said he's really good. Yeah, he's the best left wing in the league. And I have to explain to him that in hockey terms, that's apparently really good. Like, it's it's, it's just – I, I do think if someone in hockey was getting paid $20 million a year, whether they deserve it or not, it would warrant more conversation. You ready for like, – we... Go on, sorry. No, I don't. I don't know if I had it. It just it, it's people react to dollars, and right now, like, oh no, the Rangers are paying Chris Kreider six million dollars a year, and I have and to explain I, and to we someone, com- and we have to complain about it. You know, embarrassing. Yeah, like, that I is. have to explain to someone how him making less than like Drew Smiley on a one-year deal is a problem. It's a, it's a big issue. It's huge. All right, here's mine. We let players go to free agency way earlier, so we don't control their rights. So, may, I don't know, what is it, ELC, three years, right? So, we'll do two years. And max contract you can sign, four years. That's it. Four-year contracts. It, it increases transactions. Because what drives the NBA? I mean, obviously, the, the fits, the Instagram, the social media, that is the drama of it. But on top of that, 
the transactions. The every single year you can kind of have the uh, this guy went where, what, how he did what, why would he do that? And those drive the conversations. You and I have talked about Jack Eichel for too long and too much. Uh, but that they have a Jack Eichel situation every I don't know minute and a half. And I. But that's also part of. Again, it, it, it's not a direct comparison to the NBA because NBA players aren't afraid to speak out. They're not. They're not. If they're unhappy, they let you know. And if they're unhappy, NA, NBA teams have no choice but to move on from them because one NBA player impacts a team so much. Whereas, Whereas that's not the case. Yeah, Jack Eichel, even at his peak, is going to play less than 30% of his team's minutes on a given night. Yes, that 30% is going to be the most impactful 30% that the Sabres will have. But again, you're, you're, an NBA player plays for 40 or 48 minutes. And if you're LeBron James, you're the most important player on the floor. Every one of those seconds you are out there. Whereas Jack Eichel, 70% of the game's going on without him. So it's, it's just the importance of one player in the NHL. It's big, but it's not NBA big. So when an NBA player is upset and also an NBA player could sign a five-year deal. And if they're unhappy after one year, guess what? You're still going to get traded mostly because Contracts are super movable in the NBA because of salary cap structure. And the NHL salary cap structure is so goddamn rigid that it discourages player movement. To me, I would just blow it up. Let the rich team spend. And if if your team is not owned by a rich man, have them sell it to a rich man or woman. 2021. Don't need to be a man. Yep. Let's 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 get the queen involved in one of these teams. I'm interested. She's got money. She's old as shit. You think she she should just go <laughs> hey, like listen. Detroit owner? The who was the Detroit owner? Like Mitch Illich or whatever? Where he like he hit 85 and was like, fuck, I only got five years left. I'm just gonna um spend to the cap immediately on all my teams. And who cares what happens when I'm dead? Because guess what? I'm gonna be dead. Let's get those guys in the NHL or ladies again. Or ladies. Yeah, I want. I guess I just want the queen. Number three, get the queen to own an NHL team. <laughs> we did it. Uh, this is from a Lundquist for Calder, DEFCON 2. The question, you're never going to believe it. Uh, a little early, but where does Lundquist place in the Calder voting this coming year? Uh, not in the top ten, in my opinion. Uh, I, Lundquist? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. No, not happening. Probably not. I don't, I don't see a situation where he gets in the top ten. Mostly because I don't expect him to be running – or playing the same minutes that you know something that Adam, Adam Fox are going to play is going to play those minutes really a lot of the time. Jacob Trouba is going to play those minutes. He's not going to really score enough or do enough to have that kind of voting power. Uh, you could change what this is from David. You could change one thing at, at MSG not related to the players or front office like beer or food options, or seat prices, layouts of the seats, atmosphere to make it a more enjoyable experience or make it harder for the opposing team to win. What do you change? I literally get rid of Potvin sucks. That's it. I don't think that makes it harder there to play. It just makes it more enjoyable for me as the fan. Same, and that's what I'm going for. A more enjoyable experience. <laughs> I have a great I, time at MSG. I do. It's awesome. Yeah. I. Uh, also, fans. Last time I went, there were no fans. I would like a pack yeah, house. Fans, fans help. <laughs> fans make no, the, the atmosphere. Podvin, the, I have to tell the you. Podvin sucks, Chan. It's I'm just so, so over it, dude. Ugh. Yeah, it's like so we're, not, we're also not playing like Duran Duran during the timeouts. It's some things are just meant to be in the 80s. Hey, Duran Duran slaps. That's not, it's just not about Podbit, okay? It's a totally I, different thing. I'm just saying some things from the 80s can be left in the 80s. I just don't need it anymore. The people, the people paying for Ranger tickets, sure, they may know Potvin. They may know the history. They may be like, well, my dad did it, so I did it. I don't know. You know, It's over. I don't know how it's over. Find a new show. 
it's I, I I find it so weird and so when I go to other games and other teams aren't playing. So like I've gone to a couple Islander games. I lived on the island most of my life. It's so weird when they're playing like Chicago Blackhawks and there's there's like fuck the Rangers. I'm like, what are we doing? What what is this? This is not what it's about. Yeah, I Don't get I get annoyed when Med fans start chanting Yankees suck while they're losing three to one to the Cardinals. Cool. That doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> yeah. I was in Boston. They were doing the same thing. I was at Fenway. It was an awesome time in the middle of nowhere. Fuck the Yankees. I was like, we're you're playing the Indians. <laughs> like, oh, sorry, the Guardians. Uh, sir, that's the Guardians. The Guardians. I was about to the say. Uh, roller hockey squad. Yeah, the spy, uh, the the team formerly known as the yes. Spiders. Yes, I, the Spiders so much cooler, so much cooler. Uh, last question, from Dan from LI. Question mainly for Greg. I was at the 2015 Flores game versus the Nationals, and I think last night's game against the Yankees was the best Mets game since then. What do you think? Even Saturday's game was exciting. Uh, I, I Jacob DeGrom is pitched, right? <laughs> like, Jacob DeGrom, he, he pitched earlier this year. Like, wasn't that? But awesome? also, I, I just have I have Ted Lasso goldfish brain when it comes to like great Met games. I also think we over we overinflate just how quote unquote great that Flores game was. Like, it was one to one in the tenth inning. Wasn't a well played game by the New York Mets. A game that I'm sure Eric Campbell started at first base. Yeah, like you're okay. Save save me the first nine innings of that Met game. Um, I don't know. I I would say no. I'm sure there were games in 2016 that were bonkers. I'm sure there were games fucking this year that were bonkers that I'm just not remembering. I know for a fact. I mean, like, if you want to go for exciting comebacks, there's the game from 2019 when – was it 2019? I think it was 2019. Was it 2019? <laughs> Let's play. What year I don't know. was it? Was, it was the game when the Mets were down 6-3 to the Nationals. Frazier hits the three-run homer with two outs. And then Conforto – it was 2019 because Conforto got his shirt ripped off by Pete Alonso. And then Conforto hits the walk-off like an inning or two later. Um, like that was more exciting than the Flores game. The Flores game's a great moment. I'm not trying to take away from it, but I don't know. I think we remember the end. We don't remember the three hours that the Rents and Nationals had to do to get there. And it was it was bad. It was just not a not good. The, that met that 2015 Met team sucked ass before Cespedes, Kelly Johnson, and Juan Uribe showed up. So weird. What a weird team. All right, let's get to our our guest of the day. We have Vince Percurgliano of USA Today, Low Hood, whichever you want to call it. And we'll uh, we'll say hi to Vince and ask him all the questions about this year's New York Rangers squad transition. Back with reoccurring guest and good friend of the podcast, Vincent Mercogliano of USA Today. Vince, how are you? Well, well, well. Well. If it isn't, if it isn't you two. My fellow sure. IPA drinker. How are you, my friend? <laughs> oh, yeah. First of all, first of all, both you hoity-toity assholes. Oh, enjoy your Bud Light water. Jesus. Listen, nobody, here's, here's the thing, Vince. All beer tastes bad. It all's terrible. That's wrong. I, I, I hard disagree. Hard Same. Disagree. Well, no. Well, you're, you're you're lying to yourself, and I think you should stop. <laughs> you're a father now. I don't want your kid growing up in a world of lies. What is your? What, what are you kind, talking what about? What kind of father would I be if I was bringing home thirty packs of Bud Light and sitting on the couch? My dad house? is what you would be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Hot start. I'm not saying you need to be drinking thirties. We're we're grown I've men here. Seen- do any does anybody purchase Bud Light in anything besides a thirty pack or any of those watery light beers? Uh, I get twelve packs, thank you very much. I don't have okay. time to drink thirty beers anymore. <laughs> I can only do twelve. Everyone relax. I just I just think of I just I have to drive college. later. I think the only time I bought those kind of beers was in college, and it was always in a thirty pack form. 
Yeah, that's well. Yeah, I mean that's way. that's just called good good money investing right there. When yes, you're in college, yeah, you only yeah. get fifteen bucks. You might as well get thirty beers for twelve. Nice ROI on that investment. There yeah. you go. All right, no, but I, I, yeah. When I go to the track, I if I go to the track at Saratoga, the last thing I want is like a fucking dogfish or whatever that shit is called. <laughs> Oh, Sweetwater 420s. Oh, are oh man, you're, yeah. you're, you're really no. messing up there. <laughs> give, me, give me a fucking six tall boy PBRs, and I'm a fucking pig and shit. You know what? I like a, I, I can respect a PBR more than like a, a bush. I like a, a yingling. Light. Not going to lie. Love a yingling. I, I can go with a yingling. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, honestly, I like Coors Original, the banquet beer. Maybe it's nostalgic for me, but every time I went to my grandfather's house, like that's his go-to beer was the little stubby bottles of the banquet. And like I have a little soft spot for that, but the light beers—that's what really gets the light me. stuff's for I beer pong. Like, that's where I'm the, at. Yeah, here's I, here, I here's the thing: I just who's just having one beer? Like that's the thing I don't understand. If I'm <laughs> having alcohol, my goal is not to like savor this refreshing twist of lime, hint of mango, mumbo jumbo. That's what all right? the commercials tell you to do. One? No, who's if I'm only having one, but that's my thing. I'm not going to have <laughs> six IPAs, Vince. What? No, I'm not. No one has six doing? IPAs, Greg. Jesus. I, IPA is a good starter. You could start the night with two or three of them and then yeah. you can move on Roll to a on. different. I like variety. I, I don't only Fitz like IPAs. Fitz is dying right now. It's, we're done with IPAs this. IPAs are one of my <laughs> you're, 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 you're killing me. First of all, the rhyme is always true. Beer before liquor, never been sicker. So I'm not going to have an IPA and then move on to like, you know, the next part of my evening, which ends up with me in a stall, just yakking <laughs> everywhere. So you never just, have a nice nightcap, a nice little, like, uh, we call it a schnauzer, like a little bourbon or scotch or something at the end of the night? Uh, no. Nightcaps were no, huge I've, in college for Ryan. Big time. I have, I have yeah, never ingested alcohol guy. without the express written consent purpose of getting drunk. <laughs> I don't, I, I just, I, if I'm not, if, if my mood is not to get drunk, I will have a glass of water and go to bed. That's so There's Gregory. Nothing wrong with it. <laughs> Well, I, I guess maybe it's fatherhood, but even well before fatherhood, like on, on a lot of nights, like when I'm just having dinner, I will have a glass of wine or two at dinner. Or That's a called beer or two being Italian, dinner, Vince. You're that, good, buddy. And that, and that floats my boat. I mean, obviously on weekends or some nights where I have more than two or three, but I, I enjoy especially pairing it with different I was about foods. to say, like, Vince, I've seen your cooking, man. Of course you're pairing. It's yeah, like absolutely I mean, what you're doing. You really, you really dropping the ball here, Greg. You want to just talk some Rangers before you embarrass yourself? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not. I just, I, just, I don't. I've never understood the purpose of being like I'm going to enjoy this one beverage while I'm eating something. First of all, it's called pairing. It's nigga cuisine. Alcohol you like while wine? you're eating is alcohol while you're eating is just chaotic behavior to me that I can't really. Oh my god, to. we need to move on. Do you like wine, Greg? <laughs> I do not, and it disappoints oh, my dad to no end because my dad oh my is the kind of dad that like we have. When my when my parents sold our house in Connecticut, the one priority for my dad was there needs to be a wine cellar to where he's moving next. Wow. This man has Big bottles time. from like 1970 still chilling in the wine cellar. He loves his wine, and he can maybe a med player him. from every bottle. It's unbelievable. I he I've disappointed him in so many aspects of life, but no aspect more than the fact that not only do I dislike wine, I actively hate it. All right, I, think, I want to I, I want to invite to Mr. Kaplan's house uh, first. <laughs> First of all, sir, that's Dr. Kaplan. He'll be the oh, first sorry, one to correct sorry, you on sorry. that. Excuse me. <laughs> but yeah, no, he like, we went Jesus. out to a fancy steak dinner a couple weekends ago because it's the first time I saw him since this pandemic happened. And oh, he wow. was he was going through this steakhouse, I would say, 115-page wine list, trying to pick the perfect wine for the steak that he wanted that night. And the waiter comes up to me and I was like, water. I'm good with water. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm fine. I don't, uh, I don't need, I'm good. Nice, 
you gotta have a nice glass of red with a steak, man. I, I just I've tried red. I can I can I can do whites. I'm fine with Love that. I've tried red. I can't do it. Just can't do it. Vince, right, we've had, we've had you for five minutes. Now. We're gonna do a, uh, we're gonna play a game called Make a Headline. Is this the New York Rangers roster that will open the opening night? I guess against the Capitals. Is is there is there any trade going to happen between now and then, or do we have all the answers right now? Nice nice pivot, Ryan. Um, I can't sit here and tell you anything definitively. Like if a trade happens between now and opening night, it would not shock me. But I am. I wrote this last week when I got back from paternity leave. Like I am moving forward with the assumption that the Rangers are going to go with this roster and. Listen, I've talked to people about this all summer long. Like, they have really been banging the drum, especially since the Reeves trade. Because I think they were in on a few guys at the end of free agency, like Nick Ritchie, for example. I I think they wanted to add one more sort of power forward to the mix, one more gritty guy, and they did that with Reeves. And obviously, we know the center question is going to linger. But I I think that for a while, especially since around the draft, when – I and I'm sure other people reported that they felt the asking price for Eichel was way too high. I think that they started feeling like they weren't going to just force a trade for a center just for the sake of doing it. I think there is no, for lack of a better term, gun to their head to do it now. Obviously, if the right opportunity presented itself, they'd love to jump on that. They have the assets to make the move, as I'm sure you guys have talked about before. But They can also wait to the trade deadline and see what kind of position they're in and see if maybe teams that fall out of the race, like maybe a San Jose or something like that, decides that they want to be sellers at the deadline. And if the Rangers are in the playoff race at that point, they could be more aggressive. So I would never say never. We we asked Drury the question the other day and we knew what the answer was going to be, but he basically said, I'm okay with the roster as it is, but I'm always looking to make the team better. But, But I mean, to an extent, that's true. If, if something happens, if the price for Eichel drops or another center comes available in the next few weeks that they're interested in, I think that they would be aggressive. But I do believe that with the roster they have right now, they're moving ahead with the assumption that this is going to be what they roll with into the season. And I've talked to a lot of different people about this and, you know, like it or not, I know some fans will criticize certain moves and I think that that's fair in certain spots, but they, I think, feel comfortable that this roster can make a playoff push because they feel like while they might've lost some skill, which with Buchnevich, which they definitely did, they feel that the clearly defined roles, and we've heard Drury bring that up countless times. There's more clearly defined roles on this team. They feel like each line is going to have more of a purpose is going to have more clearly defined roles. And they feel like they're going to be a more balanced team for it. We'll see if that's actually the case, but I think that they feel like this is a roster that can compete as it is right now, not compete for a cup, of course, but maybe make a push for a playoff spot. Vince, which of these two scenarios is the more surprising scenario in your eyes? The Rangers seemingly not adding a top six forward to this roster that wasn't previously with the organization or Mika Zibanejad, Adam Fox at all. Nobody at this point juncture being signed to a long-term extension. Which is more surprising? More surprising. The first one. I, I did expect them to to get some kind of a center this offseason. That was a goal. Like there's no there's no secret about that. That was a goal at the beginning of the summer. But as I as we just touched on, I think that the way that the market materialized, they felt like even though they wanted to make that kind of move, 
was it worth forcing it? Was it worth overpaying? Was it worth giving up more than you thought you should to make that happen? And I think that ultimately, as they had those conversations over the course of the summer, they decided that patience wasn't necessarily the worst approach, that overpaying or overstepping would be a bigger mistake than waiting. So I think that I'm more surprised by the fact that they didn't get the top six kind of center. Uh, as for the, the second part, uh, I always thought it was a little bit of a long shot for them to get either one of those guys under contract long-term this summer. Although I reported, I think like back in the end of the spring that they were like at, shortly after the season started, that they, they were sort of poking around with Zabinijad just to get a feel for what he wants, get a feel for what that deal might require. And I was told if they could get into the range that they want, which is closer to 8 million per year, that they would absolutely be open to doing it this summer. But it all comes down to what is Mika going to be looking for? Is he going to, push for 10 million or something close to that? Or can they find some common ground? Like, I, I don't know where his mindset is at with that. I don't know if he wants to be here strongly enough to accept half a million, maybe close to a million less than what he wants, or does he want to maximize his value? And, and I don't think anybody would blame him for that, but that's kind of the big question, at least in, in the Mika situation. Get that bag, Mika. I don't have a problem with it at all, but was there any talk about the years with Mika? Would it be a max eight-year deal, or was that never really discussed? I'm sure it's all been discussed, but again, this is all kind of like I I can tell here. So yeah, I I reached out to Mika's age because I know kind of where the Rangers thinking is, but I reached out to Mika's agent, who's also his brother, to see if I could get anything as far as you know what does Mika want. I uh, didn't get an answer. So I, I can't it. sit here and tell you that I know for sure what Mika, I mean, I'm sure he wants close to 10 million a year as he, as I think anybody in his position would, I think that the money you have a pretty good feel for, but does he, is he going to demand the eight years or is he willing to come down to five, six, seven years that I, I'm not sure on. I know the Rangers obviously would prefer fewer years because he's already pushing 30 years old. I think he's 28 now. So I think the Rangers would prefer fewer years uh, but I don't know if that's something that Meek is going to be amenable to or not. So you mentioned at the trade deadline, they still could make a move. I have pretty high hopes for this team. I'm a pretty optimistic guy in general. I'm, we'll talk about Gallant at some point during this podcast, and I, I'm a, sort of a believer. But that brings me back to Ryan Strom, who is on this squad and is going to be a free agent after this year. There's been probably no... they've pretty much openly said they've been trying to trade him for three years. They have not committed to him long-term. Don't think there's going to be a contract extension. But at this trade deadline, if the team is performing well, let's say they're first, second, or even third in a competitive Metro, they'll have to Ryan Strom will have to be part of that trade package, will he not? Because that's a going to be a free agent and an asset you could lose for almost nothing at the end of the year if you're making that push. If they're in it, I don't think he has to be part of a trade package. If he's performing well and he's, he's a big part of what they're doing – I don't know if it makes a lot of sense to get rid of him, uh, but if they fall out of the race, like if they, if it looks like they're not going to make the playoffs, then I absolutely think he'll be a guy that's shopped because if you're going to, if you're not going to make the playoffs and you're going to lose him for nothing at the end of the off season, you should try to get something while you could. But if they're in it, I don't think that it would be a situation where they have to trade him by any stretch. Uh, Vince, I'm curious. You, you obviously, this is going to shock our listeners much more connected to the team than Ryan. So, so weird. Uh, <laughs> how do you how do you view everything we've gone through with Ryan Strom? How not not so much how did we get here? It just how are we still talking about possibly trading Ryan Strom? Why has this been a narrative that we've had on this podcast seemingly since 2018? 
A couple things. I, I think part of it, I don't want to say it's fan driven, but I think that there's always been this perception. Like I remember the first year I came on the beat, I think we talked about it on this podcast, probably the first time I was on his shooting percentage is unsustainable. Because remember when the Rangers traded for him, uh, I guess it was 18, 19, he scored some goals, had a very high shooting percentage and everybody thought it was, it wasn't sustainable. Well, then what happened the next season, he doesn't score goals at that same pace, but he racked up assists. He had that great chemistry with Panarin. He, he was, you know, a very productive player for the Rangers on the second line. Then everybody's thinking after that season, oh, well, there's no way he can do that again. He's not going to be able to repeat that. Then he comes out last season. He averaged more points per game, and he even had stretches where he played without Panarin and was still a productive player. So I think he's answered a lot of those questions year after year, and now he's been here for two and a half years, and he's done nothing but but reinforce his value, reinforce that he's not a guy that you should just get rid of for nothing or get rid of for very little. So I think there's value to keeping him. I do think that when you project long-term, because he's a guy who I think is even a year older than Mika, and you're not going to want to pay him even more of a raise, which he'd be due for now to keep him long-term. I, I don't think it makes sense to sign him to a long-term contract. I think ideally you find a guy with more upside, preferably a little bit younger when you're projecting the long-term roster. But for the here and now, to me, I don't know if it makes sense to just kick him out of town unless you have an obvious upgrade. And besides Eichel, like a lot of the names that were realistic targets for the Rangers, I don't know if they were obvious upgrades. Like he's been more productive than pretty much any of those other young centers that got, or centers in general that got traded or moved this off season, or that were available in the free agent market, even to know, like, He's a much better defensive player, obviously, and I know the Rangers had some interest in him, but he's nowhere near as productive offensively as Ryan Strom. So I I don't think that – I think if the Rangers made the Eichel deal, they obviously would have turned around and probably dealt Ryan Strom if he wasn't included in the Eichel deal itself. But I don't think that it is a, a situation where they feel like they need to get rid of him right now or else they're in trouble – I think, listen, if he plays out the year and has another productive season for them and helps them, you know, in their minds, hopefully make the playoff push, then even if he walks away at the end of the year and you get nothing for him, like he he was valuable while he was here for them. So I think there's like this been this narrative that they need to upgrade. They need to upgrade. They need to upgrade. And in, in an ideal scenario, of course, they would like to do that. But if, if you're not getting an obvious upgrade, like, you know, sometimes it's like, uh, what's the, what's the saying? Like the, if you have know. a girlfriend, you're always, you're, you're always looking at other girls because you think that, you know, there's something better on the other side, but what you got is pretty good. Like, I think that that's kind of a situation with Ryan Strom right now where the Rangers aren't in a terrible spot if he's their second line center. They could be in a much worse position. I think if you look at actually all of, I wrote this recently, all of the center combinations in the NHL, so number one center, number two center on any team, there's only two guys or two teams that have had centers who have put up more points in the last two years. That's Toronto and Edmonton. So the Rangers have a pretty productive second line center on their hands right now. And if they go into the season with that, it is by no means a worst case scenario. I agree with you. I like Ryan Strom a lot. He's a great guy and a great personality for the locker room. I think he provides a lot of intangibles on top of actually uh, providing a lot of great play over the past two years. And if he hit some of those empty nets, he missed, uh, he'd be that, that point total might even be higher. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, he's he's not he's far from a perfect player. He's not, not great defensively. That. Yeah, yeah, he's not he's he doesn't. I mean, the Rangers are obviously trying to become a more physical team. Like he, that's not his playing style. But he clearly has uh, 
chemistry with Panarin, and he clearly puts up points. Like, I don't care what you say about the dude. He puts up points. So, you know, I, I think that for them as a placeholder, I, I would be against signing him to a long-term deal, but as a placeholder, it, it's not the end of the world. In fact, it's probably better than a lot of other options. Agree. Camp has not opened yet, so we can, we're not able to sort of evaluate the lines and what will Gallant do. But I'm sort of just reading the tea leaves here as what we this is what we have to do at this point in the offseason. We talked about Ryan Strom just a second ago, so that leaves me with the centers of Mika Zibanejad, Ryan Strom, and Philip Heedle. That leaves me with a lot of question marks at right wing. Have you thought of any details of Kakpo is obviously going to be maybe first line right wing. Maybe they put him on the second line. Who knows? But to me, it goes Kapo and then Goudreau, the Kravstov. Is that what the projected three right wings are? Because that's sort of uh, even more of a question than really the centers at this point. That's that's probably who the top three right wings are going to be. I, I'm going to be really fascinated, though, to see how Gallant moves things around. Because I think, assuming they don't make any trades, the top nine, like, there's no real competition for who's going to be in the top nine. We know who the players are. It's Lafreniere, Panarin, Kreider as the three left wings. Yep. It's Zbinejad, Strom, Hedl as the three centers. And it's Kako, Kratzoff, Gaudreau as the three right wings. Now, there's definitely a chance. I actually think there's probably a pretty good chance that we're at least going to see one of those left wings, probably Kreider, maybe Lafreniere, definitely not Panarin, get a look on the right side during training camp. Whether it sticks or not, I think will depend how well it works. But I think you, you know you could definitely see one of those guys moving to the right side. And I think Goudreau can play left or right wing or center. I mean, I think Goudreau, they feel like, is the guy that they can play him at pretty much any position and be comfortable with it. Drury did say the other day during our conference call with him that he wants to keep Heedle at center. So I, I think people were questioning whether Heedle would stay there or not. And they're at least going to start him off there, it sounds like. But I, I'm telling you right now, I think there's a very good chance that Heedle is on the same line with Goudreau. And Goudreau is going to end up taking a lot of face-offs, like an important D-zone draw, or when the Rangers feel like they really want to win a face-off. Heedle was the worst guy in the team for that last year, and Goudreau has a better face-off percentage than anybody who, who was on the team last season. So I think you'll see him play in the middle in certain situations. Uh, but I, I definitely think you could see a situation where, where Heedle and Goudreau are on the same line. But I'm really interested to see how he, how he moves things around. Does he play Panarin and Zabinijad together? Because I think a lot of people have been curious to see that for several years now, for a couple years now? Or does he keep Panarin and Strom together? Does he move one of those left wings to the right side? Is he is he willing to play Kratzoff in the top six? Or does he view him as a third liner right now? And is he going to move Goudreau up if that's the case? So there, there's a lot of questions. I think the top nine names, we know who they are, but how they're going to be put together, I think that's going to be really interesting to watch in the first few days of camp. Vince, could you lay out a scenario in which Niels Lundqvist is not one of the three right-handed defensemen for the Rangers on opening night? I mean, if he's totally outplayed by by Schneider or Jones, it's possible. But everything that I've seen in these first four days of development camp indicates that not only is Lundqvist as advertised, but that the Rangers are going to give him every chance to succeed. And even when we asked Jury about it uh, on that call, he did, he stopped short of saying that it's Lundqvist's job to lose or that he's at the top of the depth chart right now. But he said, I think that there's a very good chance if he performs well, that when camp is over, you'll see him standing there. And that's honestly more candid than Drury would usually be. So I think, you know, when we talked to Lundqvist the other day, he feels like the timing is right. He, he, he obviously became a very high end borderline dominant player in the SHL in the last couple of years. 
he he's bigger and stronger. Like I haven't seen him in person since 2019. Saw him the other day. I'm not saying he's a big kid. He's not, but like he's clearly a little thicker and a little more muscular than he was. I mean, maybe he put on 10 pounds of muscle in the last two years or something like that. Not a big number, but he's clearly a little more physically ready than he was a couple of years ago. And I think by waiting, he's now coming in a situation where like he has a really good chance to win the job. Whereas had he come last year, it would have been more competition, might've been more likely to go to Hartford, wouldn't have been as ready. So he is definitely in position to seize that job. You look at the signing of Patrick Nemeth. They don't have a pre-existing relationship. Nils said that, that uh, Nemeth called him recently, and that was the first time that they talked. But obviously, they have the Swedish connection. Nemeth is left-handed. Nils is right-handed. Nemeth is a stay-at-home guy who's going to be reliable defensively, which will enable Nils to push forward in the rush, take some chances offensively. So it's it's the, the cards are stacked right now for him to be able to win that job. The only thing that would stop him is if, his play falters or one of those other defensive prospects clearly outplays him. But right now, everything that I've seen, the, the quick release, the way that he skates, his vision on the ice, he, he's been willing to engage physically. He looks pretty comfortable defensively, although we'll see if that holds up once he gets to playing against real regular NHLers. I mean, that's going to be a question mark, obviously. But I've talked to people in Sweden recently for this prospect series I'm doing, and everybody feels like he made strides defensively. So, Right now, Lundqvist is definitely the, the odds-on favorite, but I, I I do think that there's opportunity for the other guys if they do something to, to really separate themselves and push ahead of him. I don't know if there's anything that Schneider or Jones can really do or have done in prospect camp or even in training camp when it does open to push Niels, but the other player I kind of want to talk about from this development camp is Morgan Barron. He's likely to make the squad, I think, as a fourth liner. But we, I don't, I don't but we know. do know I that, know. I was about to say, but we do know Gallant doesn't really like to play those kind of guys on the fourth line. So uh, what have you seen from him? And I guess do you, I, I, you gave it away already, but do you expect him to start in the AHL? It's a toss-up for me right now. I, he, in development camp, he stands out. I mean, first off, he's, he's a big, strong dude. He gets inside. He, he looks like he could play Superman like as like a B-roll. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. Uh, he, he, I mean, but he, he stand, he, he's been the best forward on the ice the last few days, but he's playing against mostly guys that are a year or two, maybe three years younger than him. He's the most experienced, like you would expect that. So I'm not going to put a whole lot of stock into him looking good in development camp. Uh, and he hasn't really, ca- he's had some scoring opportunities that he hasn't cashed in on, but in terms of just physically the way that he looks around these other younger guys, like he stands out and, and he's clearly a guy who is going to, you know, win a lot of puck battles and play good defense and that sort of thing. But I mean, in some ways, I think, you know, the incumbent on the fourth line for center and the guy that the Rangers decided to protect in the expansion draft was Kevin Rooney. So you have to think that it's at least 50-50 between the two of them. I think that Barron could definitely win that job. He will have the opportunity to win that job, but he's going to have to, he's going to have to outplay Rooney. Because if, if, if Rooney, who's a guy that we know the Rangers like on the PK and they were comfortable, you know, riding on that fourth line all year last year, if he's the better player in camp, I don't see how you don't give him the job. So I think I'm looking at that fourth line center role as a competition between Barron and Rooney. And then on the outside, sort of looking in as depth and as guys who, you know, maybe if something crazy happened, could make a push for the role. I would say Greg McKay, who we all know and love. Hey, welcome back. And, and, and I'm telling you right now, don't sleep on Justin Richards. The Rangers really like him basically as like Kevin Rooney 2.0. They think he's incredibly defensively responsible. He was the two-time conference defensive player of the year uh, for Minnesota Duluth when he was in college. 
he got derailed a little bit last year because he got COVID during training camp. So he was supposed to be at NHL training camp and then didn't get to participate. Ended up playing in Hartford. He told me the other day that the COVID effects definitely lingered and it took him a while to really feel like he was back to himself. Now he's got a, a fresh start. And I think like if an injury happens or something like that, I don't think he's going to make the team out of camp. That would be a long shot. But if an injury happens or something like that, he's not that far down on that center depth chart. Like if McKaig is number or Barron and, and Rooney are four or five, then McKaig and Richards are uh, six, seven right now. What are one or two boldest training camp predictions you have? If, if you were to gun to your head, article that you're absolutely going to write and maybe, maybe put behind a paywall, maybe <laughs> boldest, <laughs> boldest predictions you have it going into camp that you think we will see on opening night for the New York Rangers. So you want me to give away the story that I'm going to write and ask people to go to and just tell them. Go to to support Vince, everybody. Absolutely. Actually, wait, wait. Do they have to pay for this podcast? Not this one. Is that? Oh, okay. Not this okay. one. So not on. The well, same with me. They, we do one paywall article a week. The rest are free, although you only get seven free ones a month, just for the record. But um, <laughs> as, as far as bold predictions, you know, I don't know. Like we talked about the top nine thing. Like that's really going to be a big focus for me. Uh, but I, I don't. Like, is it a bold prediction that I think Chris Kreider might end up on the right wing? Like, no. I, I don't know if that's that. Well, I don't know you, if that's that like, bold. maybe maybe Philip Heedle is actually the Rangers' second line center because it's Gerard Gallant. It's a new eye. We don't have to play by David Quinn's rules anymore. Blah blah blah. I think he'll get looks there, but I mean Ryan Strom, as we just talked about, has been a much more productive player. Um, so I mean, I do think that there's a better chance that we see Panarin and Zabinajad together than there was previously, and I and I think that. That that's something they'll at least experiment with. I've been really curious to see that because when they signed Panarin, everybody thought that that's what it was going to be. And David Quinn, even like the first time I met David Quinn, that was one of the first questions. And he said that the plan was to play them together. And then they had like four or five games together and it pretty much never happened again besides like two games last year. So I'd be really curious to see that. And I do think that Gallant will give it a look at some point. I don't know if he'll definitely roll with it into the regular season, but I think they'll look at it. So maybe that's a bold prediction. Hmm. I'm curious, you curious to say that, Vince. Ryan, did someone else say that on this podcast? No, never. Smart us? guys. <laughs> Smart guy. Um, sorry. Just you. All right. Hey, I, I, the, the Panarin Strom thing is always going to be a fallback. And I feel like because of the chemistry, like there's a decent chance that they keep it that way. But I mean, if it was me, I'm no NHL coach, obviously. But if it was me, I'd be curious to see how it looks if you put your two best players in the same line. Just, you know, just out of curiosity. But, well, my, my um, thinking, Vince, and tell me if I'm crazy for thinking this, it was just. It's hard for me to believe that a new head coach, as much as we love Lafreniere and Kako, I have a hard time believing both of those guys will be on a line with Mika Zibanejad. So, like, if it if it's only one of them, I have a harder time believing Barclay Goodrow is going to be on the line with Mika Zibanejad. So, if you could only put one kid with Mika, I, isn't it logical just to put Panarin as the other one? I, I wouldn't be listen. I wouldn't completely rule out uh, a line with Lafreniere. Mika and and Kako. I mean, it's not out of the question. I, I think more likely you would maybe see a guy like Kreider on the right wing in that situation. But I think any, as I told you guys, I think really anything is possible with that top nine. I think I don't feel strongly that one line absolutely has to be together. Like these three guys, if you don't play them together, you're crazy. So I think I think he's going to play around with it. And I think there are some interesting possibilities there. But with like you think about the defensemen. I think we pretty much know who the six are going to be. Like, there's not going to really be any surprises yeah, that's, there. That's the goalie, Yeah, the, the goalies, we know who those guys well, are Well, hold be. on. Hold on, Vince. That's, one of my, that's my next question. 
Georgiev, Georgiev is he going to get traded? Yeah, well, not well, of course. I mean, that's been the question forever at this point. But is is there any chance that Georgiev could get beat out as the backup goalie going into camp with my client Keith Kincaid? I doubt it to start the season, but I think if Georgiev has another stretch like that midseason stretch, the breakaways where he, where he just gave up every single one. Yeah, I mean, yeah. When when Igor got hurt and they needed to lean on Georgiev last year, he he really fell flat. I, I also think that if you want to talk about trades before training camp, it would not shock me if he's traded. He has not requested a trade for the record. Uh, that was made very clear to me by his agent, but I, the Rangers have shopped him. I know that as well. I think that they, they look at it like they'd be okay with Kincaid as the backup and they don't really see Georgiev as a long-term piece here. Igor is clearly their guy. You know, they kind of played that game last year. It was like, Oh, we're not going to name a number one, even though we knew it was Igor. It's Igor uh, yeah. But th- this year, this year is clearly Igor. Although, you know, interestingly, goalie depth, if you look at it right now, I think, like, if you get rid of Georgiev, right, and Kincaid's the backup, if somebody gets hurt, you're going to have to rely on a really unproven guy to be the backup. Like, yeah, Adam Wall Huska would probably had be a, it, or Huska, right? May, maybe, but, I mean, Wall and Huska both had, like, pretty bad statistics with Hartford last year, and, like, Garand and some of these other guys are way too young to be options. They're not even signed yet. So, like, if you were to lose your trade Georgiev or get rid of Georgiev or whatever and have Kincaid as the backup and somebody gets hurt. Well, th- then you're asking either wall or Huska to step into the NHL. And like, I don't know if there's a whole lot of confidence that those guys are NHL goalies at this point. Although wall had a good day at development camp today, but I'm talking about like an hour long practice. Yeah. So that, you can't count that. Uh, yeah. I, I have to ask one other nonsense question. Uh, how's Tanner glass look on the ice as a coach? What's he up to? energetic he's been uh he's been one of the most noticeable guys out there it's like every i should make this clear because a bunch of people have been saying this like tweeting this at me and whatnot the the regular coaching staff like a lot of those guys they're observing a lot of this but they are not on the ice working with the kids at development camp jed ortmeyer runs this he's the director of player development and he's out there with tanner glass and some of these guys that work for him uh, so just for the record, that's, that's the guys that are out there. But yeah, you know, I've, I've seen Glass out there every day. Tanner's like our dream interview. I want to interview him so fucking bad. You, so. Vince, if you ever want to, if you want to ever hear Ryan at his most depressed, the episode we did last week, Ryan was in the woods for two weeks, didn't check his phone, did nothing. I had him absolutely convinced that Tanner Glass was fired for like and the first the five saddest. minutes. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what? They let him Ryan go. Why did nobody tag me? And then what, uh, what is the what is with the Tanner Glass? Uh, oh, Tanner was uh, you know a legend of of his time. He was like he he was the reason that Bujnevich was was benched before uh, he was here with Elaine Vigneault. He was he so, was he was our great first foil. Yeah, he was like sort of like the started. meme god of uh, of Rangers Twitter for a while. Yeah, I mean he was a popular player. He's uh, also super nice, like in person. Yeah, He's, like yeah, he was like nice. he was like one of those like. Blue collar, hard nosed guys that I know fan loves. Jed Ormeyer was one of those too. Oh, by the way, I had him on my podcast last week. Hey, New nice I plug. City. New I City, everybody check it out. Uh, available on all podcast platforms. Yep, yep. Uh, yeah, J- Jed actually had some really cool stories. He he played with the Rangers from 03 to 07. You think about that. He started off playing with Messier and like Leach. Like he was there when those guys were just kind of exiting and he got to spend time with them. Then he was there for that insane Yager year. And then he was also there when Hank arrived. So like, he had some pretty cool stories about like all these different legendary players that he got to spend time around when he was really only in New York for four years and was like bouncing back and forth between the NHL and the AHL. Uh, fun, so. fun fact. My very first Ranger Jersey and still a Ranger Jersey I own and wear is a Lady Liberty Jed Ortmeyer number 47. There we go. Wow. Big support. Wow. You should tell, you should tell him that he's a nice guy. 
I think it's why he follows me on Twitter because I say it like when people are like, name your first jersey, and I'm like, Jed Ortmeyer, number 47. I think he saw it enough times that he follows me on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I guy. also found out when I was talking to him, he's from Nebraska. Like, I didn't even know. I was looking at like the rosters of the Rangers that he played with, and I was really interested in that. But I had, I had no idea he was from Nebraska, which you would not think a lot of hockey players come from Nebraska. Definitely not. I'm not sure what else happens in Nebraska. A state I often forget. They they pretend to be good at football, and that's where the College World Series is. Last question. How are you feeling about the Jets? Oh, boy. Honestly, like, the first half, I'm watching, and I'm like, oh, my God, this this just feels so familiar. Like, you know, and every year what I do is I get myself, like, sort of optimistic in the summer, and I'm like, you know, and then I always try to tell, like, the last couple of years I've really tried to tone it down. and be like, listen, dude, you know you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Just, like, accept that they're going to suck. You know, look for a few silver linings and move on with your life. But this year, like, I, I will say, I really do like Sala. Like, when they hired Adam Gase, I was like, this this feels like it's going to be really bad, and it was. You you Sala, were not the only one that thought that, in case you are wondering. Sala, Sala just seems like a good dude to me, like, from, from the media perspective. Like, he seems like he'd be, like, a good coach to cover and be around. And, like, I always felt that same way with Rex Ryan. Like, I thought Rex Ryan would have been awesome to cover. I don't know if Sala will be quite as uh, entertaining as Rex was. But I, I just think Sala seems like a good dude, a smart dude. Uh, you know, brings the right kind of mindset and energy and all that. And I think Douglas has honestly done a pretty good job of accumulating assets. Like, and, and it's a rebuilding situation. Obviously you have to be patient, but the first half looked really bad. The second half, there was, there was some resiliency and, I, and Wilson's got a lot of talent. Like, you know, I don't know if he's going to make it or not. I've had too many quarterbacks burn me in my jets life to say that he's definitely going to make it, but like, he's probably the most talented jets quarterback I've seen in my life for whatever that's worth. Um, so I don't know, you know, the offensive line was the pass protection was terrible and now Becton's going to be out for a while. So that's, that's bad news, but you know, I'm just, I'm going to watch. I'm not like nearly as invested as I was 10, 15 years ago. And I'm curious to see how this rebuilding process goes. Like I, I like the, the, I'm fascinated by the inner workings of the front office and all sports and like, you know, roster building and, and accumulating assets and what you do with those assets and all that kind of stuff. So, um, I'm curious to see what Douglas does with this. I'm not feeling as dreadful as I was two years ago. I don't think you should. Uh, last, last question for me. How are we feeling about the Yankees? Well, they won today. Um, so that's, there's that. Uh, I, Greg, I actually saw, I was, a, I was, I'm sleep is hard to come by these days. We went through, this is just quick baby story. We went through like most of the summer where he was sleeping through the night. And then in the week leading up to development camp, he decided, eh, I'm going to go back to that waking up at three, four o'clock in the morning thing. Dope. So I've been super tired in the last 10 days, uh, especially getting up and going to the facility. So last night I'm watching the game and I saw the Stanton home run, which I mean, when he hits home runs, those are just like no doubt about our bombs right off the bat. And then I saw the whole, you know, dugouts clear thing. And I'm like, oh, maybe that'll be a spark for the Yankees. But I couldn't stay awake. And then I woke up in the morning and I'm like, I wonder how that game turned out. And the first thing I see when I opened up Twitter was Lindor celebrating his third home run of the game. And I was like, oh, all right. Well, there's that. Glad I didn't, glad I didn't stay up for that. <laughs> a good one. Yeah, uh, fourth place yeah. in the division. Or they were until they won today. So go Yankees, I yeah. guess. So. Yeah, I, I just don't think they I, – I mean, they have a lot of name players, but I just don't think it's a balanced enough roster. The Rays have no names players, and they are very good. Yeah. So yep. there you go. Actually, no, they got they got my my guy Brendan Lau, who has been crushing it recently for my fantasy team. So love me some Brendan Lau. 
They have three Lows. Yeah. Lau, Low, and Low, whatever it is. They traded Nate Low to Texas. Anyway, Vince, thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate it. Why don't you plug all your stuff, your podcast, New Ice City. You can follow USA Today. You get all, all the articles. There's a bonus premium article. I eat up all of Vince's content. You should, too. He's a good friend of the pod. There you go. What, what else? You just, did it. You, you just did it for me. I think so it's better. Good. I did it. It helps. That's, you know, it works. Yeah. So, all yeah, right. Just, we're going to end this podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at O'Ryan Media. You can follow Greg at Blue Shirts Break. We'll be back later in the week with the BSBOT on our Patreon. Sup- surprise. Love you guys. Bye. And I want to thank the Offer Sheet Club members for making this podcast possible. As you know, I give them all the information first before everybody else. That's how this works. That's the deal we worked out. Right now, there's not been a lot of information, but as you know, Vince... Just said on this podcast, he thinks there might be a trade in the next couple weeks. I find that hard to believe because camp is very soon. But maybe the New York Rangers surprise us all, and if I do find it out, I will tell you. I promise. Uh, these supporters do it all for us. Here's Adam Cohen, Adam Cheech, Adam Cheech. <laughs> I figured it out this week. Okay. Alex Gardner, Alexander, Amber Coesberger, Ben Webers, Ben Waters, Biggie's Malone, Brian Doyle, Broadway Blue Shirt Breeder, Chris Finelli, CJ Stellwagen, Daniel DeZen, David Narden, David Siegel, Dennis Deitz, Eric Stagg, Georgia Britsky, Gar- Gib Gartner, Cup, Jacob Berkowitz, JD, Jimmy Mack, Chris from Florida, Christoph Berg, Kyle Franklin, Lazer Gronkowski, Lucas K, Matthew Kind, Padre- Pavel Kodarev, Stephen Lomayer, Stig Bulbach, Swingart, The Drop PK, uh, Tom Sinclair. I just messed that one up. I'm so sorry, Tom. I, I, I apologize. You know who I am. Tommy O'Neill, The Legendary Tour from Manhattan, Vinny Brocco, Vinny Hay, Will Specter. Thank you so much for making it. This so much more fun and lively. I cannot wait to get, to get back to New York Rangers hockey with all of you. We love you guys. We'll see you at OT later this week. If not, we'll be back next week with another fun little episode. Bye.